Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Let's pray together. Oh God, for your love and your grace that surround us, that overwhelm us, we are grateful. For Jesus who chose to be present with us, the one who is the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, I don't, I don't know how many of you have watched any of the episodes of The Chosen, but that series does such a superb job of portraying Jesus through the eyes of the men and women he encountered during his life and ministry. There are obviously times during the series, just like the little clip we looked at, where the series takes some liberties with the text. For example, we don't know the names of any of her husbands, according to John chapter 4. But that segment, in my judgment, does such an incredible job of imagining what the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman might have looked like. John chapter 4, a story that most of us know extremely well. We are concluding a series today that we have titled, Like Jesus. Early in the series, we looked at one of the chapters in the Gospel of Mark and talked about what a typical day in the life of Jesus might have looked like. Mark tells us that Jesus, early on that day, worshiped with the people of God in the synagogue. And so worship was a part of a typical day in the life of Jesus. He engaged in ministry throughout the day. He was present in the lives of people, loving, serving, teaching, healing. And the day also included time alone with God, solitude, time in prayer to his Father. Uh, from that point forward in the series, we have basically been asking three questions. And so, what does it mean to think like Jesus? All of the intricacies of our minds. What does it mean to act like Jesus? And what does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to think like Jesus? We spent one week looking at the temptation story in the Gospel of Matthew, where the Spirit of God leads Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days he is without food, and then the tempter, Satan, comes tempting him with one temptation after another after another. And with each one of those temptations, Jesus responds by quoting from the Old Testament. It is written. He is so equipped to deal with temptation because Jesus had spent time dwelling in the Word of God. And we suggested in that lesson that to think like Jesus means that you and I also dwell in the Word of God. Jesus obviously knew Scripture. He had memorized Scripture, but it's far beyond just memorizing words on a page. It is so dwelling in the Word of God that we figuratively are eating and drinking and consuming and absorbing the Word of God to prepare us for life, to equip us for ministry. And as we continue to pose that question, what does it mean to think like Jesus? In a second lesson, we looked at a moment near the end of the ministry of Jesus where Pharisees and Sadducees are, are questioning him, testing him, trying to back him into a corner. And one of the experts in the law asked the question, so what's the greatest commandment of the law? 
A question that Jewish rabbis would have debated almost every day. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Thinking perhaps they are about to trip him up. And he quotes that great text we know as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus says there is a second principle like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says there is no commandment greater than these two. As if to say those two principles are at the heart of life before God. You get those two principles right? Everything else begins to fall into place. You miss those two principles, you've missed everything else. What does it mean to think like Jesus? It means that we focus on loving God and loving others. For Jews leading up to the time of Jesus, all the way back to those words in the book of Deuteronomy, for Jews, they would have memorized the Shema. They would have recited, would have spoken those words two and three and four times every day when they got up, when they left their homes, when they walked along the way, when they entered their homes at the end of the day, when they went to bed at night. As they thought those words, the idea being those words translated into the way they lived every day as well. And Jesus says there's a second one, love your neighbor as yourself, what Scott McKnight refers to as the Jesus Creed. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love others. And so we ask the question in that second lesson, what if we memorize those words, not for the sake of just memorizing words on a page, but for the sake of allowing those words to be at the core of our hearts and our minds and on our lips? For me, naive enough to believe that the more I begin to think like Jesus, the more I'm going to act like Jesus. And so what does it mean to act like Jesus? In the two weeks that we explored that question, we looked at two primary texts in the Gospels. We looked at one in the Gospel of, uh, of John where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And that, that story begins with the writer telling us that Jesus wanted to show the disciples the full extent of his love. And so to act like Jesus means that we love others. But hang with me. It is more than just this little simple statement of love others, love your neighbor, it is recognizing that even in the washing of feet, Jesus is washing the feet of one who will deny that he even knew Jesus, and he's washing the feet of one who will betray him. It is you and me stepping out of our comfort zones. It is you and me choosing to be present in the lives of other people. It is you and me loving the way Jesus loved. And then the text from Mark chapter 10 in that second week, I'm answering that question where James and John come to Jesus and ask, when you come in your kingdom, can one of us sit on your right and one on your left in your glory? And Jesus will have to say to those two as well as to the rest of the disciples, you don't understand what greatness in the kingdom is all about. Greatness in the kingdom is not about power or position. Greatness in the kingdom is all about serving others. What does it mean to act like Jesus? It means we love. It means that we serve even as Jesus said in that text, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It means to get our hands and our feet dirty. It means to wash the feet of others. It means to step into places where nobody else wants to go. To use Paul's language in Philippians chapter 2, in that great Christ hymn, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself. He became one of us, the incarnation. Even beyond that, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. What does it mean to act like Jesus? It means we love. It means we serve. 
And then the final question in the series, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Two weeks ago, we looked at several texts in the Gospel of John where Jesus identifies himself as deity, uses the Greek word translated I am, the Greek word that corresponds to the Hebrew word Yahweh. The name of God in the Old Testament, we reminded ourselves of that story in the book of Exodus where God shows up in a burning bush telling Moses, I'm going to send you back to the land of Egypt for you to lead my people out. And Moses begins to make one excuse after another. One of those excuses is, what if I go back to the people and I tell them God sent me and they ask, so what is the name of this God who has sent you? What am I supposed to say? And God says to Moses, if the people ask who sent you, you tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. Four consonants in the Hebrew language. Yahweh, the sacred, holy name of God, so sacred and holy that the Jewish people would not even pronounce the name, the word, would not write the name or the word. In fact, by the time we come to the first century, when the word Yahweh shows up in the text, they most often would use the Greek word Adonai, the word for Lord. And so when Jesus says, I am It is Jesus claiming to be deity. Good news for all of those who were anticipating the Messiah. For Jewish leaders who were so opposed to the ministry of Jesus, blasphemy because Jesus is claiming to be deity. Several statements in the Gospel of John that we know well where Jesus uses the word I am coupled with a predicate. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And the one that we focused on two weeks ago, I am the light of the world. Almost from the get-go in the gospel of John, Jesus comes to bring life because he is light in the midst of a dark world. And that thread runs throughout the gospel of John. But stay with me. We reminded ourselves two weeks ago, not only is Jesus the light of the world, Jesus looks at you and me as his followers, and he says, you also are the light of the world. That great text in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Maybe in some respects we could say, well, it's kind of a play on words, but I want you to notice, Jesus did not say, You've chosen to be my follower, so now go and be salt. You've chosen to be my follower, now go and be light. No, Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. The question is, what kind of salt are we? The question is, what kind of light are we? What do we do with the light? Do we hide it? Are we ashamed that Jesus is Lord of our lives? Or do we lean into that image? that we are the light of the world, compelled by our love for God, compelled by the love and the grace of God with the promise that Jesus brings. As we shine in our world, as we engage in doing good, others will be drawn to God. Others will be led to glorify our Father in heaven as well. And we illustrated that a couple of weeks ago I'd like to take just a moment and remind us of that. And so let me invite the guys in the back to turn out the lights for a moment.
And let me remind you that in a world that is filled with way more darkness than we could ever imagine, Jesus is not only the light of the world, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. For me right now, one solitary light on this stage. And as we described it a couple of weeks ago, whether it's me distributing food, teaching a children's class, speaking the name of Jesus to others, simply putting in an encouraging word in somebody's life who is struggling, simply me, where I am, being light, can begin to provide a difference in a dark room. Let's take it one step further. If you have a cell phone that you can get your hands on, would you do the same thing? Turn on the light on your cell phone. And just as we did a couple of weeks ago, look around the room. Be reminded. Be reminded of the power of light in the midst of darkness. Church, if you don't remember anything else from this series, remember that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And look at the difference we've already made in a dark room because of the lights that we are holding. But I want to take it even further. And so if you'll turn out your lights and bring up the house lights again for just a moment, I want to take it a step further. What does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, it means to be sawed. It means to be light right where we are. But maybe, maybe somewhat in a play on words as well, and yet I want to take it a step further. Beyond just saying you are salt and you are light, it means that you and I, in very intentional ways, you and I choose to be present in the lives of others. We go out of our way to build relationships. We have eyes that are wide open and ears that are wide open to the opportunities that may be all around us that otherwise we might never see. There are so many interesting pieces in this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John 4. I think most of you would know some of the history regarding the Jews and the Samaritans, the, the kind of difficulties that existed in their relationships with one another. It is a history marked by racism and prejudice and discrimination. They did not associate with one another. They ignored each other. They would go out of their way to avoid each other. One stark reminder of that is when you began to look at the geography the land of Israel basically was divided into three geographical regions. Galilee to the north, Judea to the south, and Samaria smack dab in the middle. And so if you traveled from Galilee to Judea or vice versa, you either had to go through Samaria or you would do like most Jews did. You would cross the Jordan River at the north or at the south, and you would make your way up on the other side of the Jordan until you were past the land of Samaria, and then you would cross back over. You went out of your way to avoid interacting with those Samaritans. You went out of your way. And so do you find it interesting that one of the opening lines in John chapter 4, as the writer tells the story, is this line. 
And so Jesus left Judea. He's been in the south. And he went back once again to Galilee, up in the north. And then this line, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. I would submit that that is a very intentional decision on Jesus' part. He chooses to go through Samaria in order to be with people. That intentional decision of Jesus, everywhere he goes to be present in the lives of people, to be present in the lives of all people. And we see that so clearly when we look at his interactions with folks who were often on the fringes of society, the poor, the children, women, lepers, those who faced injustice, Samaritans, tax collectors. When is the last time that you were intentional? The last time that you went out of your way to be present in someone's life? want you to hear me clearly. I did not ask, when was the last time you went out of your way to speak the right words? When was the last time you went out of your way to engage in the right activities? No, my question was, when is the last time you went out of your way simply to be present in someone's life? To be present in the life of a child, to be present in the life of someone who lost a loved one, to be present in the life of a teenager, in the life of a college student, in the life of a senior adult? When is the last time that you, in very intentional ways, chose to be present in the life of someone who is different than you? Perhaps different educationally, economically, different age, different skin color. Simply to be present, to listen, to learn, to begin building a relationship. The line still indicts me. Jesus had to go through Samaria. By the way, while Jesus is at the well engaged in conversation with this Samaritan woman, the disciples had gone into town to buy food. That's also an interesting little piece of the story. Remember again, Jews and Samaritans don't associate with one another. In fact, some of the notations with that chapter indicate they don't even share food out of the same vessels, out of the same utensils, uh, dinnerware, etc. Jews and Samaritans don't associate. And here are the disciples going into this little village to buy food. I guess if you're hungry enough, you'll go and buy food. But my guess also is that when the disciples found the closest united, they slipped in and out as quickly as they could. While the disciples are in town buying food, that incredible conversation that we imagine by video, that incredible conversation took place between Jesus and the woman. And then this line. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? They were surprised. Surprised simply because he was talking with a Samaritan woman, 
Or might I speculate, they were surprised to find anyone with Jesus. After all, when they left him at the well to go into town to buy food, he was by himself. Where did this woman come from? Here's my take. The path from the well back into the village, in my judgment, was probably not a four-lane highway. It was probably a, a, a footpath. And so as they made their way into the city, into the little community, as they made their way in, the woman made her way out. And they would have passed one another on that path. But they either ignored her or didn't even see her at all. And I wonder how many times that happens in our lives as well. When's the last time that you crossed paths with someone who needed an encouraging word, who needed someone to listen, who needed someone who would love them for who they are? When's the last time you crossed paths with someone and you did not even see them? Or perhaps even worse, you ignored them. Maybe it was a child, a teenager, a young adult, a senior adult, someone who was walking through a dark moment in their lives and you didn't even see them. Maybe similar to the story of the rich man in Lazarus that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 16. A rich man who lived in luxury, just lived it up every day, but meantime there is a beggar who's laid at his gates every day who longs to eat even the crumbs that fall from his table. And while Jesus doesn't say it directly, the implication is the rich man did not even see the beggar. Did not even see him. What does it mean to be like Jesus? It means to have eyes and ears wide open. To be present to be intentional. It means that we choose to walk alongside others, to be present physically, mentally, spiritually, to be present in prayer. And, and church, can you imagine what it would look like if we all simply chose to go and be present in the lives of others? Now, we had one illustration a moment ago where all of us, either sitting or standing, turned on lights, and it made an incredible difference in this room. But, but take it a step further. It is more than just being where I am. It is me choosing to get up out of my seat, to get up out of my comfort zones, and to go be present in the lives of others. What does it look like when that happens? Well, here's one illustration. John 4, again, after the conversation the text tells us the woman leaving her water jar. Imagine that. She's come to draw water, and now she runs off, and the water jar is still there. Leaving her water jar, she went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I want you to hear me clearly, because Jesus was intentional, because Jesus chose to be present in this woman's life, this woman whom most folks did not want to be around, for one, 
but hear me as well, this woman who also chose to not be around others. She comes at high noon to draw water. She chose not to be around others because she knows what folks are going to say about her. Because Jesus chose to be present with her. She runs back to the village with boldness, with her light shining, with that intentionality on her part saying, I've met someone who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Because you see, church, when we choose to be, when we choose to be present, we set up an incredible ripple effect. Let's hit the lights once again. So it's dark in this room again. But here I am as the light of the world. Did you notice a bit ago, by the way, when, what was it, a young woman who walked across this stage? Did you notice that I paid no attention to her? That I ignored her? And I wonder again how often I do that from day to day. But, but, if I choose to be present, if I am intentional, even in the midst of darkness, I am going to be looking for opportunities to step into the lives of people. And lo and behold, she's still here. And because I choose to step into her life, the potential exists for light to begin shining in her life as well. And because I've chosen to step into her life and now things are different, she also chooses to be intentional. And to be present in the lives of others. Even the potential of one person having an effect on, entire, on an entire group. You read the rest of John chapter 4. This woman goes back saying, I've met a guy who told me everything. Maybe he's the Messiah. The paragraphs that follow the entire village comes out to see Jesus. Because of one person whom I chose to be present with. Let's turn the lights back on. Those of you who are serving communion, if you would make your way to the back. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Hear that line. Something to be used to his own advantage. No, rather he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. At the heart of our faith is not just us talking about the cross and the resurrection, even though that is the pinnacle. At the heart of our faith is the incarnation. That God, through Jesus, chose to be present with us. And we are different because he chose to be present with us. And so we share together in communion every Sunday. 
remembering the cross and the resurrection and now the life and the hope that is ours, but as we share in communion, remembering, I think it goes far beyond that. It is also an invitation for us now to go and be present in our world. That's what it means to be like Jesus. And so as we take the bread and drink the cup, may we drink deeply of the life of Jesus and be committed to being Jesus to our world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that Jesus came intentionally to be present with us. And we thank you for the cross and the resurrection. We experience life. We live with hope because of that. And I pray in turn, God, that we allow that to be the springboard for us being present in the lives of others. And so bless these sacred moments as we share together. In the name of Jesus, amen.